you're listening to The Cat Who Did a Podcast with me, Susan Romsdorf Terry, and Luke Romsdorf Terry, where we read a book from the Cat Who Mystery Series and discuss it. On today's episode, we are talking about the 13th book in the series, The Cat Who Moved a Mountain. And this is a very special episode uh, because we're going to be talking about drug addiction. Uh, No, this is a very special episode because we have a dear friend of ours who is our first guest of the podcast, Miss Megan Ralph. Yay. Welcome, Megan. Thank you for joining us. So happy to be here. Thanks for having me. You are welcome. So I know one thing we usually do talk about is, of course, we'll get into the uh, history, not the history, but the uh, outline of the book. How familiar are you with this series, with the Cat Who Murder Mystery series? This was my first. This was my first. Um, I've heard of it, but I'd never dabbled into it. Um, so, so this was a, this was a treat for, for me, for sure. Well, good. Well, so another fresh perspective. That's right. That's right. Now, when was this book published, my dear? 1992. And is there an audiobook of this one? There is. Uh, now, now that we're, now that we're in the middle of the series, uh, all the audiobooks are available digitally. Um, it's still read by George Goodell, although you can at this point also find, um, audiobooks read by Theodore Bickell as well. Two different companies decided to record them. I think you made a good point last time that one of them is probably an abridged version versus the unabridged. Right. As one episode we pointed out in the unabridged version, it's usually a professional narrator. In the abridged version, they get a big Hollywood star like Dick Van Patten for one of these books. <laughs> <laughs> the Renat, yeah, whatever. Eight is enough. Anyway. Hey, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I hate that guy. <laughs> anyway, moving on. <laughs> that was a really deep cut for all you Mel Brooks fans that are listening. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. This is within the series, Meg. Um, there are books that I call the travel books, okay. where Quill goes somewhere else and um, probably regrets that. So, this is the second of three of them. Um, where there's full-on travel. Um, there, I, I realize as I'm reading, there is actually a three and a half, four, but we'll talk about that later in the series. So this is number two for sure. Um, the biggest thing that we start off with, we're in Pickaxe and Quill is hosting a giant party to celebrate officially inheriting the Klingenstern fortune. He's now officially a billionaire, he, that which means he has been in Pickaxe for five years and managed to survive at least two assassination attempts. It's and- the life he's led. He deserves some money, okay. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, um, there was a couple books there where it was, we start off with Quill dead, or is he? <laughs> yes. And it got pretty old. Yes. So knowing that you don't know what, we, what we're dealing with in the back of this, um, Quill was a famous uh, crime writer down below, which is the area south of, uh, south of Moose County in Pickaxe. Um, and he comes up one summer to, uh, to a cabin that was gifted to him by a friend of his mother's. Turns out friend of his mother's has a massive fortune and she decides um, her current will when she died left everything to Quill. Nice. So by complete fluke and accident, he inherited all of his billions, but the condition was that he had to live in Pickaxe in Moose County for five years in order to inherit things outright. We've officially done that. Hooray, Quill's a billionaire. Now we move on from from all of the, will he survive five years story. So the first thing of course that he does is he decides to celebrate by spending the summer somewhere else. (laughs) Alone. Um, Get me out of pickaxe. You know, and that's kind of his thing. He's like, okay, I've been here for five years. I need to go figure out if this is where I want to stay or whether I maybe want to go somewhere else now, now that I've, he set up um, a foundation that's distributing the money within Pickaxe and, and Moose County. So it's not like he's taking the money and running. He, he really doesn't 
particularly enjoy the idea of having a lot of money, except that he's starting to learn that he likes spending it. <laughs> so on the recommendation of uh, the Kip and Moira McDermott, who run the uh, the newspaper down in Lockmaster, which is 60 miles south of Moose County. And what's that newspaper called? Uh, the Lockmaster Ledger. They get, a, they get a normal name. Not the Moose County something, which is the newspaper <laughs> for Moose County. So Kip and Moira recommend that he goes someplace called the Potato Mountains. This is, I had to look this up. It's not an actual location. There I was is, wondering. Yeah. There is a potato, a, a, a potato mountain in California, but based on the driving and the descriptions, I'm betting he kind of ended up somewhere around Asheville, mm. um, North Carolina, Tennessee border, uh, basically, uh, basically in uh, Appalachia. But I, I um, love how they sold him on going to the potato mountains. Like, it was so telegraphed. It was just delightful because it was very much this like, like as I'm as I'm reading this, I was like, did you leave a dead body you want him to find? Because it sounds like you left a dead body you want him to find. <laughs> well, anytime someone promises Quill peace and quiet, you know he's going to find Yeah, him. yeah, exactly, um, exactly. He decides that, hey, sure, I'll go to the potatoes. And he... <laughs> He tries to find a find a rental, and the only place that will rent to him with cats is a 90-year-old former inn, and he has to rent the entire thing because that's the only way they'll let him have to have the cats. And of course, he's not going to go anywhere without the cats. No, Coco and Yum Yum are important. Quill has started back up with his journal, although he's no longer writing it by hand. Thank goodness. He is writing, he is writing it with a tape recorder um, that he can now carries in his pocket everywhere he goes. Um, so on this tape recorder, we get to learn about their trip to the potatoes, takes about four days, and they have foiled cat thieves, terrible beds, and screaming children at family-friendly restaurants, which once again reinforces the fact that Lillian Jackson Braun really does not like kids. Um, <laughs> I don't think she knows how to write kids either because there, oh, there was a previous book where they talked about how there was an eight-month-old who was speaking in complete sentences, which <laughs> our 10-month-old daughter is barely getting out da-da. Yeah. <laughs> so, so probably not there. Anyway, um, but once he finally arrives at the Potatoes, uh, narration switches out of the first person and uh, then he goes off to attempt to find the summer home at the top of Big Potato Mountain. <laughs> he declines a guide. On the and bacon bit trail. <laughs> <laughs> the sour cream river. Yeah. The, the main town, by the way, is Spudsboro. Yes. And so you have the two mountains. You have Big Potato and Little Potato Mountain. And Quill is staying at the, uh, the tip top inn at the top of Big Potato Mountain. Now, of course, as I said, he uh, he's trying to find this and he declines a guide up to Big Potato Mountain. And Regrets that decision immediately, especially when he tries to take a recommended shortcut, which somehow manages to land him on the other mountain, which is, of course, Little Potato. He then has to be guided back to Big Potato and the main road by a very grumpy local woman. Uh, we meet her again later. So Quill finally gets to the Tip Top Inn, and his luck with summer housing kicks in again. Oh, good. In a previous book, Quill went to this cabin where he had stayed before, but he decided that, um, you know, it had... Apparently he'd been gone so long that everything had fallen apart. He ends up calling uh, repair people almost every day. It was a giant mess. So this is this is about on par with Quill's luck for summer housing. So all the decorative, decorative objects have been removed from the house except for one painting of the mountains. Um, none of the windows have screens because, well, apparently the, the potato mountains don't have bugs. So nobody bothers yeah, to put screens. I found that an odd detail. I was like, but have you been to the mountains? because yeah. bugs everywhere bugs are a thing especially and, mosquitoes so and even if you don't have bugs 
There's bears. Wouldn't you want screens to, you know, protect your glass from birds and other things that might go flying at them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And bears and, you know, other things you don't necessarily want to leave your window open for. Bears and squirrels and trash pandas are just going to be coming in there and taking all your stuff. Yeah, so you can't leave, you know, no screens. You can't leave the windows open at all. Yeah, no, so many trash pandas. Yes, but in this particular case, we're looking about, (laughs) we're, we're concerned about the cats. Yeah, um, because without any kind of screen window, he can't leave the windows open for them to enjoy anything, and that kind of makes it rough to know that he's going to be shutting them up in a uh, in a giant place with no with no fresh air for uh, however long he's planning to stay here. I mm-hmm. think it's a couple of months. Um, is the original plan? Yes. Jeez. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, he needs to get away, so I get it. Yeah, I guess so. So while he's trying to figure out what to do about all of this, um, a handyman shows up. And this recalcitrant handyman uh, is, is finishing some repairs. And while, they're there, while he's there, he, agree, he agrees to build Quill a screened gazebo for the cats. So Quill uh, figures that's a good day's work, goes to bed. And, um, while he, and when he wakes up in the middle of the night, because it's, of course, too quiet for him to sleep, he spots a strange circle of lights moving on Little Potato. Are these visitors, a.k.a. aliens, something else? Clearly Quill's mustache is tingling because something is not quite right in the potatoes. And by the way, it's raining. This is the other thing that Kip and Moira promised him. Didn't rain once while we were there. (laughs) So there's no screens. There's now rain. And (laughs) this is just turning. Excellent. Not turning into be a good couple of months away. Yep. Um, So the next morning when he's gotten his bed. When he gets up there too. What was that? The place is ransacked when he gets up there too. Yeah. All the decorative objects are gone. Um, the only thing that, you know, they left sheets and towels and things like that. It, Quill's big complaint, if I recall, is that all of the sheets um, are like six inches deep in lace. In lace, and yeah. shade lace. <laughs> and when he calls the realtor to say, can I find, can I get some plain sheets, please, for the love of God? She's horrified <laughs> because she's like, those were the previous owner's pride and joy. And yeah. he's like, well, why didn't they, why didn't the owner take them then? Yeah. They were yeah. so precious. Why are you leaving me six inch deep lace sheets? I'm just Every bed will have six inch, every bed will have six inches of laces and you'll get your choice of German muffin in the morning. <laughs> Is a German also to sleep on lace like then you wake up with like waffle lace pattern on your face exactly. <laughs> nobody wants this does not say relaxing vacation to me <laughs> i'm beginning to think that yeah kip and moyer like you said they set him up to <laughs> find set him up for right. Yeah, you're right we left a dead body go find it yeah <laughs> under lace <laughs> all right anyway so once it's, it's morning again quill is heading down Quill decides to head down the mountain uh quill held, heads down the mountain to visit downtown spudsboro um, the bustling metropolis um, of spudsboro uh in the middle of town he passes a group that's protesting the mountain's development and goes to visit the local paper like you do which is the spudsboro gazette because while he was up at tip top he saw a framed article by a columnist named Vonda Dudley Wicks, written in an incredibly florid style, about what you'd expect from somebody with that kind of name. Mm-hmm. Um, the editor of the paper uh, offers to take him, offers to take Quill to uh, to, uh, to lunch at the local country club, which is back up Big Potato Mountain and is probably the closest place that you know will serve food to to Quill. And it's been mentioned that Quill doesn't cook much, um, except for the cats. Um, and while he's up. Uh, lunching with the editor of the Spudsboro Gazette, he happens to spot a woman across the uh, across the room, whom he describes as having the embalmed look that comes from one too many facelifts, um, and wearing a, who is wearing a dramatic wide brimmed hat. Yeah. 
guess what? This is Vonda Dudley Wicks. Uh, yeah. Oh, of course. <laughs> she looks about as you'd, you'd expect. Um, <laughs> she is apparently beloved by readers as the new editor found out when he tried to kill her column. Uh, and the editor also explains that that circle of lights that Quill saw on uh, Little Potato wasn't aliens uh, or the visitors. It's most, it's what the locals call a witch's coven on Little Potato. We get a little bit more definition about this later. Okay. So, so yes. it's not, no, it's not aliens. It's actually witches. It's just witches. No big deal. Fine. Fine. It happens. It's a, yeah. it's a coat. It's a coven. It's a coven. It's, um, it's not actually a ghost. It's instead uh, chupacabra. You know, it's yeah, anyway. Quill decides, um, and encouraged by the uh, by the editor, to get a quote unquote social membership to the country club, which means he can use the dining room. Again, this is because it's closest place to him that will serve him food. Important yeah. things to have in Quill's world. Um, the town of Spudsboro itself is described as a blossoming mini metropolis populated by what the locals refer to as the Spuds. These are the, uh, the transplants, the people who came here with money, who are in, intent on developing the town and the area around it. It was, the town was in the process of being fully developed by the previous owner of the Tip Top Inn, which was J.J. Hawkenfield, before his untimely death. <laughs> Um, which Quill didn't know about when he rented the property. And he does take his uh, realtor to task for not telling him that somebody died. Not only died, died on the property. You said there are no bodies. He said he mentioned it six or seven times. <laughs> one, of the, one of the caveats with the realtor that I loved was that she asked him his astrology. She was like, what sign are you? That's how I'll know what to rent to you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So I wouldn't necessarily, if somebody was like, what are you? Are you a Scorpio? I got the perfect place. Like, this is not, you're not going to sell me on a whole lot of things there. <laughs> so J.J. Hawkenfield is fairly important. Um, before his untimely death, his family had lived uh, in the mountains for generations. They ended up damming the river to make their own private lake. And when J.J.'s father died, J.J. came back to town and took over the paper and then railroaded most of the Chamber of Com Commerce towards development. Uh, he had four children three boys and a girl, uh, which the three boys were, of course, his pride and joy to the exclusion of his daughter. Unfortunately, all three boys managed to die within a year of each other, and that trauma sent his wife into a mental hospital. Hmm. Um, the daughter, who uh, has never felt appreciated by her father, moved to Maryland. How he died? Someone didn't appreciate all of his local improvements and shoved him off the top of the mountain. Wow. Yeah, they found wow. him at the base. Um, Don't mess with the Tatos, man. Don't no. mess with them. Don't mess with them. These so, spuds get rotten. No, yeah, well, we'll see. Um, so after that, Quill had Quill just drives around and he's and we get introduced to the other side of life in the potatoes, uh, the taters. Yes, we have the spuds and the taters. Hatfields and McCoys, spuds and the taters. Oh. And the taters. <laughs> so the taters are the artists and the pioneers of Little Potato. Um, according to Chrysalis Beecham, this woman is the uh, is is the cranky woman who ended up guiding him back to Tip Top. Um, when he got lost on the wrong mountain. And her name is Chrysalis Beecham. Chrysalis? I just couldn't, I just couldn't with that name. I was like, Chrysalis, really? That's... I mean, can you get more fairy dairy? Fairy dairy? Super hippy dippy. Let's just ply that on real thick. Yeah. <laughs> that's not even the, that's not even the quote unquote worst of the names in the series. If you keep reading, there are some gems as far as <laughs> yes. names go. In this book alone, we, uh, we have her brother, Forrest Beecham. Forrest, yeah. Um, and uh, Forrest has a son named Ashley. Uh, Ashley. 
Ashley Beecham. Oh, Ashley. This is the other thing that really makes me think that it's that it's got to be Appalachia or someplace southern, um, because that the the idea of Ashley as a boy's name doesn't happen as much in the north and mm-hmm. and, and west coast, mm-hmm. um, but it's definitely popular in the south. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so. According to Chrysalis, the uh, the taters were environmentalists before the word was invented. Um, they they've been there for they they'd been there for centuries, you know, surviving off the land, and now they're protesting the ravaging of their mountains. The shipping tre- they're apparently shipping trees to Japan, damming the river to make that private lake, as we mentioned, and yep. then conversely, they're also trying to make a living living from the tourists who visit the town. Quill does his part for the local economy. Um, he is clearly, as I said, enjoying having money uh, to spend on friends, and he does do it generously. Um, Polly, Mildred, Hixie, Fran, Hixie and Fran, um, and Lori Bamba, I believe as well, I think there's one more in there, are all getting uh, colorful hand-woven batwing capes uh, woven by chrysalis. Um, Interesting. And her yes. <laughs> so, and the barn is getting a giant sculptural candelabra with hand-dipped beeswax candles, because... <laughs> That's a thing. Uh, now, unfortunately, there is a fly in this. There is a fly in these mashed potatoes. Um, Chrysalis's brother Forrest, <laughs> who I mentioned before, is in the state prison for the murder of J.J. Hawkins. Oh, oh the plot thickens. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> like those beeswax candles, it thickens. <laughs> The beeswax thickens. Yes. Now, Chris, now, Chris, as she's known, uh, Chris claims that this is because they were unable to afford an actual attorney and the court-appointed lawyer wanted Forrest to plead guilty to a lesser charge in front of a jury of spuds. Not a single tater in the bunch, she complains. Um, he won't do it because, of course, he didn't do it. In his, So he says he didn't do it. Um, so now Forrest is in jail and his infant son and wife are scraping by in Potato Cove. Potato Cove, by the way, smaller than a valley, bigger than a hollow. Um, so Forrest and his little tot. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he, he went there. Yeah, yep. I, yep. I did. That's yeah. not really a surprise. Um, <laughs> anyway, so they're scraping by with the other artists in, in on Little Potato. By the skin of their potatoes. Indeed. <laughs> so after the, after this giant dump of plot, um, <laughs> dump. Quill heads back up to uh, back up to the top of Big Potato uh, to Tip Top to prepare for summer visitors with all of their favorite drinks. And for some reason, Coco is fascinated by the sherry. Now, in Quill's mind, it connects to it's Polly's favorite drink. Polly is kind of uh, Quill's girl uh, when they're back in Pickaxe. Um, but who have a very weird relationship. Yeah. Be- yeah. yeah. If you read other books, it's very, un- well, I'm sure we, do we see her in this one? Um, only briefly at the very end, but we'll talk about ah, that. Ah, okay. It's very, um, it's anyway, bad. it's bad. So it's Polly. So Sherry is Polly's favorite drink, which is where Quill makes the connection, but Coco and Polly are cordial at best. Um, so Quill gets no points for this connection. Um, <laughs> he does, however, connect Coco's attraction to the mountain painting to a heavy key that's hidden on the back of the painting which then lets Quill uh, take a walk up to the top of the inn. Um, he, go, he then gets to then, of course, try all the doors um, with this giant key to see what it unlocks. And what it unlocks is the, uh, the door to the steps up to the widow's walk at the top Ooh. of the house, because of yeah. course that's what you'd have. It was, Again, it was, it was like a very this, gentle uh, clip from The Shining <laughs> as he's trying all the doors. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But once again, this is where I, I, I insist it has to be in the South. Um, yeah. <laughs> so while he's up in the Widow's Walk, he spots glints of the, pli- of the private lake and thinking, it's a nice afternoon. It stopped raining. Um, he grabs a walking stick and he heads out. He, of course, gets horribly lost um, and is rescued in the nick of time by a dog named Lucy. Yeah. Um, Yay, Lucy. So we, we know her name is Lucy because it's on her collar. 
which she gets him back to tip top. He, uh, and uh, Coco then helps Quill find JJ's private office. And it turns out that Lucy was his dog, which is how she was able to guide Quill home because hmm. he found her dog bed in his office. Um, apparently Lucy is running wild at this point. Yeah. And one of the vets mentions, oh, is she still hanging around? I'm like, what? Nobody's going like, to take the dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I've the got family? questions for the, the, the spoke. Yeah. I, really I, I have many questions for the Hawk and Field family. Yeah. Um, right. Or their neighbors who couldn't be bothered to taking the dog right yeah, yeah. Just let it wander also, around like, on for yourself. Yeah, just left to our own devices yeah yeah it's pretty wild odd. getting in touch with her roots yeah, yeah. <laughs> die Something like a like that. not die but living like a proud gray wolf that's right <laughs> very fast one um quill I'm, feeds her hot dogs um yes. she's very excited <laughs> um hot dogs on potato mountain yes now of course right after quill finds jj's office the power goes out yeah apparently happens a lot like Especially if there have been storms, and there have been lots of storms this summer. Mm. Um, when the power comes back on, Quill, searching through JJ's office, um, finds some of JJ's columns from when JJ was uh, the editor of the paper. Um, and his the title of his column is The Editor Draws a Bead. <laughs> and it's about as antagonistic as it sounds. Um, he and Quill describes it as him taking pot shots at pretty much everything in a maniacally bombastic style. <laughs> Yeah, you gotta love that. After finding this exciting piece of news, um, Quill goes down the goes down the hill a bit to attend a cocktail party with some of his neighbors and chats with the sheriff, who tells him that he, the sheriff, arrested Forrest after Sherry. There's the Sherry connection because Sherry is the Hawkinfield daughter. Uh -huh. um, Sherry Hawkenfield uh -huh. apparently came running down the hill to the sheriff's house after supposedly finding signs of a struggle and no sign of her father when she went to visit for Father's Day and a distinctive mm. army vehicle heading down the mountain as she was heading up. This army vehicle, by the way, belongs to the Beechams. It's very well known because that's where they, that's where they sell, that's what they sell all of their handwoven goods out of. So the, the army vehicle is very well known. That's taking an army truck yeah. is such like a, a, a hippie thing to it do totally just is. to yeah. use Peace now, man. Yes. Right. Well, because of that kids. description of because of that description of the vehicle, now that leads the sheriff right to Forge Speechum and his arrest. We follow this up with Quill's social instincts leading him to uh, the local interior design studio because, of course, remember that most of the furniture and all of the uh, knickknacks are still missing. And we get to the uh, design studio known as Peel and Pool Design, and we meet Sabrina Peel. Aside from looking very, very similar to Fran Brody, who is the interior design designer back in Pickaxe, mm -hmm. who has made a play for Quill and is one of the few to gracefully accept the feat. Um, a lot of other people who attempt to uh, chase down Quill meet very poor fates. And uh, yeah, it's not good. We had someone die in a car accident in the last book. Yeah. Um, the Black Widow, yeah. Well, no, he's the, uh, <laughs> you know, it's don't chase Quill, you will end up dead. Mm -hmm. uh, so the quill the quill the quiddo yes the, that, the, never mind that doesn't yeah, work doesn't we'll cut work. that <laughs> anyway so <laughs> back to sabrina peel um she agrees to help him make tip top a bit more livable everybody is under the impression that quill is going to love tip top in the mountains so much that he's going to buy the place and so she's doing this as a uh preemptive bid for you know redecorating the uh mm. the inn inside and out so can't can't fault her her business instincts there yeah um and uh, she also, of course, shares lots and lots of gossip, mm. um, including that she and uh, her husband, 
uh, had to take uh, J.J. Hockenfield to court to collect on their design bill after his wife went into the hospital. Um, she also, so after his wife went into the hospital, J.J. claimed that they'd taken advantage of her and they went, no, no, she was perfectly sane when we started the process. And after that, you still owe us the money. Yeah, um, up, yo. Yeah, she also reveals that J.J. was likely psychologically abusive to his wife and daughter uh, after doting on the sons um, to the point of exclusion to wife and daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, she also notes that Sherry kind of leaned on her as a friend, mentor, um, abusing friendship because she's leaning on her for free appraisals and advice so that uh, Sherry can go run her own design shop in Maryland. Hmm. Shady. Shady business with the hump. It is. Shady stuff going on in in the potatoes. Yes. And it gets shadier because Quill then tries to take Chris Beecham to dinner at the country club to discuss more about Forrest's case. Um, And this goes over like a lead balloon. Um, The servers are rude. The food is sabotaged. They salt everything. Um, And Quill walks up to the leader of the dining room, tears up his membership card in front of him and says, I'm not coming back. This, you, you, he, he takes a stand. He takes a stand. And I'm actually very proud of Quill for this. Um, He is, he is not going to tolerate a guest being treated badly. Um, And he shouldn't. Um, And this kind of gives him a real crash course uh, in that tater versus spud mentality. (laughs) And how bad the division actually is in town. We don't serve your kind here. Really. Um, you know, they all but said it. Wow. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. pretty bad. Yeah. Um, They're very weird about it. Yeah, they are. I mean, spuds are really trying to exploit the Potato Cove artists um, by offering to move them to a strip mall and dumping their trash in the ravines and hollows. Um, Quill points out, don't move to the strip mall because, you know, then you'll have to work seven days a week and you will never, you'll never recoup your, uh, your rental costs. They'll just keep raising it. They also like to go in and buy land from the older taters who are about to die at ridiculously low prices and then turn around and make a huge profit from the developers. There is, by the way, a ski resort in development right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I know. Which... Are we sure this is not set in the 80s and there's like a youth center involved too or something? <laughs> And I would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for you kids. Yeah. <laughs> I got to admit, she's still probably writing with a very 80s mentality because a lot of the story does read like that. It, yeah. it kind of does. Well, this is early 90s, so I, yeah. can, I can see that there's a so little bit of So we've still got that hangover. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and Ski so, tater mountain. Yeah, ski, ski big potato, what? I don't think I need to. I'm good. No, no. Also, you know, we, we live in Colorado, so we have real mountains. And yes, I will stand by my my insult of the Appalachians as as the Appalachian Mountains is not real mountains. They don't go above the tree line. Yes, they may be old. I lived in North Carolina for 10 years. North Carolina and Kentucky for 10 years. I had to stare at them. I'm done. <laughs> Come back when you go above 3,500 feet. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> How many 14ers do you have? None? Oh, yeah. Oh, uh-huh. we have 54 in our state alone. Bam. <laughs> really? It's, they, they're not mountains unless they go above the tree line, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. So anyway, I love. I know I'm preaching to the choir here. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Um, two so, Colorado natives, yep. <laughs> two Colorado natives and one Oregon native who was who grew up at the base of a ski resort, an actual mm-hmm. ski resort, by the way. Um, oh, yeah. We've so been- to go to the tater side of this, to try and drag us back to this conversation. Um, <laughs> so on the tater side, we have Chris's mother, um, who does not speak because she believes that the last time she spoke, she caused Forrest's arrest. She believes in the power of positive thinking. And she was very focused on stopping JJ from destroying the mountain. She didn't want him murdered, but she wanted him, but that's what stopped him. So because so- of that, she blames herself and refuses to speak. Yeah. That's um, amazing. 
Yeah. So ever since Forrest went to prison, she stopped speaking. Now she and the others from Little Potato do go out at midnight with lanterns and walk in circles to meditate on getting Forrest out of jail. This is our coven, quote unquote. Yeah, it's a whole bunch of hippies with lanterns right. trying to do the positive, power of positive thinking. Power of positive thinking, walk in a clockwise yeah. circle. Yeah, exactly. This Which is the worst cult to be a part of. Now, you know, according to the slides, I can see this as being seen as a as a witch's coven right. on that side of the argument. Now, after, after this disaster of a dinner, Chris also takes Quill on a bit of a drive around Big Potato to show him what slashing looks like. Um, clearing the good straight hardwood, leading, leaving the rejected timber behind. And this is, of course, what's clearing the way for the ski resort that they're trying to make. Ah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we'd, we'd call it clear cutting, not yeah. slashing. Sl- well, sl- let me show you what good slashing is. Here's a stabbing knife and <laughs> let's go uh, kill the enemy potatoes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we would call it clear cutting um, and, and leaving, leaving nothing but the stumps behind. So not a good thing. Um, it's leaving bare patches all over the mountains. There's no replanting, mm. um, which is not a good plan. And Quill is, after this experience, in his own words, spitting mad. <laughs> Once again, has to be in the South. All right. In the South. Um, the tarnation. <laughs> <laughs> so Quill gets back to, it's back to Tip Top, and he is feeling the need for a little bit of the pickaxe touch. So he calls Polly. Mm-hmm. Um, to have a little bit of chat for home. And unfortunately, Polly has bad news. Yeah, um, not, not full of joy, Polly. Not full of joy. <laughs> oh, no. Um, Dr. Halifax Goodwinter, um, who uh, who has a wife who has been sick for many, many years. Uh-oh. His wife, is finally de- his wife finally passed oh. shortly before Quill left. Oh. And Dr. Goodwinter has decided that he cannot go on and he committed suicide. Oh, God. Yeah. This means that Quill's ex-girlfriend will be moving back to back to Moose County to take over her father's practice. Melinda's back. Oh no! Yay! No. Everyone's excited. I, as personal experience, I've had very bad luck with Melinda's Quill, so I <laughs> I, I feel you, buddy. I feel you. And you both will disguise cry for Quill. And disguise and for, cry and for, for Quill and, and, for, and, and, for and the return of Melinda Goodwinter. Yeah. Oh. Uh, so Ugh. in. In pickaxe, up until very recently, the Goodwinter family was one of the most prolific. Yeah, not so much the, anymore. The twenty, the twenty-seven page phone book uh, had fourteen pages of Goodwinters. Wow. So yeah, it's a lot. Um, but they're slowly dying off one by one as the as the early days of this book go, and they keep dying. Um, so maybe ten pages now. Yeah, we're probably we're down to at least <laughs> ten by now. Um, so after all of this. Quill goes back to Spudsboro and he decides that the best way to get people to talk to him about JJ to try and figure out more about why he might have died and whether Forrest actually did it. He's decided that the best way to get people to talk to him is to tell him to tell them that he's written a he's writing a biography about JJ Hawkinfield. Hmm. Um, and this works like a charm. Our real estate agent, um, who I'm sorry I haven't mentioned her name, her name is Dolly Lesmore. Um <laughs> Yeah, it gets better. The, uh, and the editor of the paper describes it as uh, her husband is less, she's more. Yeah. Yeah, her <laughs> husband is, is a insane golf nut um, who oh. I think maybe speaks 10 words in the entire book. Um, yeah. And nine of them are about golf. So Birdie, Eagle. Yeah. That's Do it. you play golf? Ugh. No. How is the weather? I think that's it. <laughs> Yeah, anyway, so Dolly's big goal is to get 
Quill, of course, to buy Tip Top, um, since he'd be, as she puts it, a charming host and predicts that the potatoes could be another Aspen if JJ's ski resort plan from, comes to fruition. We don't need more Aspens. Um, we, we don't. We really don't. Um, Dolly also then elaborates uh, Sherry Hockenfield's story. Um, she'd bought a painting from Forest Beecham, of all people, and that mountain painting that's left in the house the only the only things that was left in the house that's forest painting and that was one that had the key on it With correct? The key. exactly yeah. not only that she insisted that forest deliver the painting at a very specific time on a very specific day oh. um there's nothing nothing sp- suspicious about that yeah there's no cause for um, concern about yeah. that so that's why Sherry saw him coming down the mountain as she was going up from getting cocktail snacks at the at the uh, market at the base of the mountain. Cocktail snacks. Cocktail <laughs> snacks. That's what they call it. Let's get some pub mix and weenies. Yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Quill, of course, sensing that there is more to the story, he heads back to Potato Cove where the artists are, um, and he has lunch at Amy's Lunch Bucket. Amy, by the way, is Forrest's wife um, who, who watches their son, uh, for his fiance, apparently, not wife, but whatever. Um, and their two-month-old baby, Ashley, uh, behind the counter. I think that any you should be wary of any restaurant that has the title Bucket. Bucket, yeah. Just on principle. Well, you know, if you think about that, you know, she's she's working on the principle that she's going to wrap up a lunch for you and send it out for you in a lunch bucket. Makes All sense. right, fair enough. Anyway. I didn't know if it would be like, oh, here's a bucket of, yeah, no. you know, chum. No, she she handles uh, you know tasty portable snack portable snacks yeah. with a little bit of soup on the side. Um, soup in the bucket. It should be mentioned um, that <laughs> at least in this book, Amy the baby talks in age appropriate goos and gaws at two months old. Yeah, um, which is which is a relief because you know when we're talking about the in the previous book about the eight month old who's who's talking it in full sense. Well, yeah, the eight month old's going, mother, I am hungry and I need a change <laughs> of my nappy. Yes, versus two month old who's going goo gaga. Yes. Yeah. We, we, we woke up. If one if one day our daughter woke up and she was speaking in Patrick Stewart's voice, we would be very concerned. Yes. <laughs> Channeling her for some reason. Yes. So so Quill goes down here to talk about to talk to Amy about uh, about Forrest, and Amy tells a much different story about that Father's Day. Um, she she confirms that Sherry bought the painting, but then of course tried to haggle over the price, um, and then demanded that the painting be delivered. At a, and delivered and hung, by the way, at exactly 1 p.m. the next day because it was Father's Day. Mm-hmm. Um, this murder also, by the way, is known as the Father's Day murders um, because it was Father's Day. As requested, Forrest goes up to Tip Top and uh, delivers the painting. And as he's pounding, pounding the nail into the wall to uh, hang the painting, JJ comes around the corner and chases him from the house. So Sherry tells Forrest that he'd better leave and he drives back down the mountain. Now, what's the problem with this story? Sherry cannot have told Forrest to leave if she had not already been there. So there's no way that she could have seen his car coming down the mountain if she was already up there. Hmm. So Quill's mustache is twitching because he's made this connection as well. Um, If Amy's story is true, JJ was alive when Forrest left Tip Top. Hmm. So that, that, that is most likely confirmed. Yes. Uh, Quill's revelation is apparently accompanied by the desire to see a waterfall behind Potato Cove, and somehow or another he then decides, he, he then manages to slip while taking a picture and nearly kills himself on the rocks by the falls. Um, he is rescued by the inhabitants of Potato Cove, given clean clothes, taken back to Tip Top to rest and recover. He has completely um, wrenched his ankle and mm. has to keep it elevated. Um, mm. they, they have a saying that uh, anytime he tries to thank anybody for helping him, while he's there. Um, the response is always, they aim to be good neighbors in the mountains. 
<laughs> and they do indeed. I think that's something that's a worthy thing to be could be ascribed to. Yeah, I yeah. agree. Yeah. Should be mentioned, it's still raining. <laughs> yeah. So Quill is back at Tip Top and he's convalescing and he is visited by the last person on earth that he really wants to see, Vonda Dudley Wicks. Oh no. Um, who brings him, however, some amazing chocolate chip cookies. Um, and then she apparently gets drunk off of strong coffee. Yeah. Like she's literally written this completely and utterly falling down drunk yeah. until Quill gets her outside into the fresh air and, and gives her some water. Um, and it's just, just absolutely never, ever name your kid Vonda. Just yeah. don't. Just don't do it. Cursing them to be uh, to apparently have a, a uh, caffeine like alcohol, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. Now, before she loses herself completely, however, she shares that her late husband was JJ's business partner and was supposed to testify at Forrest's trial about death threats to JJ from Forrest. Hmm. Um, but he, Wicks, um, managed to collapse in the courtroom and died of a heart attack on the way to the hospital. Convenient. Indeed it is. Now, the supposed death threat uh, has disappeared. No one has any records of it. It's just in So local. it was like a written one. Like yeah. in lore, yeah. Yeah, it's just kind of passed into local lore that it existed. There is no proof of this. Interesting. Um, the uh, further information about this trial comes from that owner of the local market. Quill has finally forgiven him for, the local market was the guy who tried to, who tried to send him on a shortcut that sent him to the other mountain. Oh. Um, turns out this guy also used to date Chris and uh, managed to get fired from the paper by JJ for printing flyers for the environmental protesters. So now he works at the market um, <laughs> and actually manages the market. So he's doing much better. Um, he stepped up in the world, apparently. Exactly. Now, he was also in the courtroom and ha and Wicks collapsed in front of him. Um, and he also tried to give evidence that he saw two cars in the tip-top parking lot around the time of the murder, and neither of them were Forrest's vehicle. Hmm. Um, but because this guy is friends with the Beechams, the lawyer who wouldn't believe or, or use the evidence. This is also because the uh, court-appointed lawyer plays golf with the prosecutor and didn't want to defend a tater. <laughs> What is the market? Learn a little bit more about this guy in a bit. What was that? What is the market owner's name? Doesn't he have a weird name? Bill Treacle. Treacle. Yeah. Bill Treacle. Bill Treacle. Yeah. William Jefferson Treacle. So Bill Treacle, a guy at the market. You know, normally I would do a a list of all of the weird names that we run into in this, but again, because. A lot of these characters that we're meeting, we never see again. Um, gotcha. The first and only time we see Bill, we hear of Bill Treacle. That's a shame. It is true. Oh, this the names get weirder. Um, yeah. um, while Quill is is, uh, is is laid up, Sabrina Peel comes back to uh, take Quill to dinner, and uh, the gossip gets thicker. Mm. Um, apparently, conventional wisdom is that Vonda Dudley Wicks was JJ's girlfriend, and that he paid for her facelifts, and that he found her a convenient yes man of a husband to quiet wagging tongues. Hmm. <laughs> Indeed. He didn't do as well with his daughter, who he then ignored, as we've mentioned, in favor of his sons. Mm -hmm. um, but apparently uh, the girl's grandmother, I'm assuming on her mother's side, left her some money when she died. Um, and so this kid was able to pay for her own orthodontia and rhinoplasty. Yeah, it's definitely written with an 80s mentality because we're talking yeah. nose jobs. Um, rhinoplasty. rhinoplasty. a terrible name for... It is. Um, so now that she's gotten her teeth straightened and had her nose fixed, um, she blossomed, uh, per Sabrina, and secretly got married. Uh, to, oh, dear. Yes. Oh my. She got married to a Lumpton. Yeah. 
We try to make jokes about there being a lot of Blumptons in the potatoes, and apparently this doesn't go over very well locally. I'm really sad because I think that would be something I would run with. I would totally, yeah. I would oh, that's a, yeah, that's a missed opportunity. Yeah. Um, so her father finds out about the secret marriage and is furious, makes her get a divorce. Um, but Sherry and her former husband are still very close. Reading between the lines, Quill realizes that the Lumpton that Sherry married is Hugh Lumpton, who was Forrest's court-appointed attorney. Uh, uh, just a uh, little uh, bit uh, of conflict of interest there, just saying. Ooh, and it's such... Just a skosh conflict, yeah. just, a, just, a, just a, a dash. Yeah, just a small <laughs> problem of having the uh, the person who married the daughter of the man who died. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Quill has, at this point, managed to convince Dolly Lesmore to contact Sherry Hockenfield um, to say that he might possibly, just maybe, be interested in buying Tip Top because he wants to meet her and see if he can get her into giving, get, trick her into giving more information about her father, possibly about the murder. Um, you know, he knows something's not right. He doesn't quite know what yet, but mm. he's, uh, you know, he talks to her. They, you know, he convinces her to come down and visit the potatoes while he's there. And she does eventually make it, although um, it's it's a near miss because there's so much rain that the that the airport is starting to get flooded. Oh no! Um, mm. And as she's driving up to the house, she gets trapped by a mudslide. Ooh. I mean, that's terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. This yeah. woman is not having a good day, and it gets worse because first we had the car accident, and then it turns out she's deathly afraid of Siamese. <laughs> oh! Um, so she's not doing well when she gets to Tip Top. Quill then, of course, imply, uh, employs his uh, his strategy of getting his guests drunk while, when he thinks they might be criminals. He's done this in several <laughs> books at this point. It's a good tactic. Um, it's a good tactic. And he gets them to incriminate themselves. Um, Sherry starts to reveal more, but eventually she goes and takes a nap. Um, Quill <laughs> leads Coco leads Quill to an ugly sideboard that's been, kind of been a running joke in this house. Um, it's so ugly, Sherry didn't take it. Um, <laughs> this this was part of the reason that that Quill managed to get her to come visit because he said he might be interested because he heard it might be valuable and of uh, course her, her eyes form dollar signs and she comes down to see if she can get more money out of him right right um, so Coco is messing around under this uh, very ugly piece of furniture um, and Quill starts swiping underneath with an umbrella and he unearths a very incriminating piece of evidence. Mm -hmm. So while Sherry naps, Quill plans his attack and uh, puts into action, puts it all into action when Sherry's quote unquote friend, ex-husband, um, Hugh Lumpton arrives. So he tells them once Hugh arrives and Sherry's awake um, that he's plotting his biography of JJ and he serves them more drinks. Well, he infers that new evidence has come to light that could exonerate Forrest of the murder. And now Hugh and Sherry are now very nervous and very drunk, and the cats are startling them, um, <laughs> making them jumpy. And Quill finally reveals his big find, which is a hairball made of Hugh's very distinctive ash blonde hair. How he managed to lose that much hair the day of the murder, um, I'm not quite sure, but that's where the hairball came from. Was this yeah. coughed up by one of the cats? Or... I don't know. It's it must just... have been like a pulling, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, maybe he's got trichotillomania or something on his head. It could be. Yeah, you know. That's a usually it was with a with a hairball in the foyer. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this is the big reveal, and and as tends to happen with Quill's big reveals, Hugh then attempts to uh, to attack Quill, but Quill gets the drop on him with a flaming candelabra. <laughs> That giant metal candelabra that he bought at the beginning of the book. Yes. He's had it, he's had it up and with flaming candles in it. 
And then he threatens Hugh with it. Um, and also turns out the Quill had the foresight to invite the new sheriff to Tip Top. And he arrives just as Quill has neatly tied up the case before. Just <laughs> so convenient. It I is. Did your job for you, sheriff. Take him away. There you go. So it turns out that there was an illegal liquor operation being run. Uh, and while Hugh's father, who is the former sheriff, was doing the actual running of the liquor, um, Hugh was the one protecting them from it. Um, from, from the law with the that. Muscle, the, um, the, the, the brains, whatever. So JJ figured out this illegal operation and was going to reveal it in one of his columns. Hmm. Sherry yeah. learns that that's what, his, what her father was going to do. And ex that exposing Hugh would mean he would go to jail and then she wouldn't have a, a husband anymore. Right. Um, so she tips off Hugh that, what was that? And, and more more of a meal ticket, all that money. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, and all of that money that she was that she's hoping to inherit. Um, so she tips off Hugh, who and invites him up to uh, to tip top on Father's Day. Um, Hugh then hits JJ with a chair and tosses him over the cliff, and they frame Forrest for the murder. <laughs> this is this is not the neatest of her mysteries. I'm yeah. going to say that. Um, Got potato people problems, am I right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> so. So that was the big drama on, on Potato Mountain. And Quill's feeling pretty good about himself. Uh, he's solved a murder. He's, uh, he's freed the potatoes from, uh, from a, uh, an illegal liquor, a liquor ring. He's uh, you know, gonna protect them from development. Um, so he calls Polly once again to have a, a friendly voice in pickaxe. And we find out that Polly has just gotten home um, after a terrifying ordeal as she was stalked and nearly grabbed outside her apartment. Oh, wow. Yeah, so yeah. she's understandably terrified and Quill decides that he's going to head back to Pickaxe immediately, um, which you know kind of answers the question of, will he live somewhere else or will he go back to Pickaxe? He's going back to Pickaxe. Go back to Pickaxe. Um, his plans then of course are derailed because with all of the rain, the dam has collapsed oh. and that has managed to trap him and the cats on top of the mountain. Oh no. Um, he decides to try and find his way down the logging trail that Chris showed him when he, when he came back up originally. And fortunately he runs into Chris because his car sinks axle deep in the mud and he's not going anywhere. Chris was coming up to, was coming up to help get him out. Mm -hmm. um, she's able to get him and the cats to safety. And he shares that he managed to talk to the K-Fund lawyers before the power went out and they'll be talking to her and to take um, Forest case pro bono to get him out of jail. And they will be establishing a conservancy, conservancy a project to prevent a washout like the one that just happened and to protect the generational Tater family properties and the rest of the mountain. So yay, yay on being environmentally responsible. Yay. <laughs> Chris is of course overjoyed and Quill repeats what she just, what she's always told him, which is that uh, in the mountains, they aim to be good neighbors. Good neighbors, yeah. <laughs> and with that, Quill and the cats head off to head off into the sunset, uh, back to pickaxe. And that is the last we see of the potato mountains. Yes, yes. That's a shame. <laughs> the only time we get to see the potato mountains. Yeah. It seems like there's, if this is the only time, like there's a lot of rich characters here that we are never going to see again. And that's a There waste are, of there are. It really yeah. seems like it to a certain extent. But, you know, it's kind of the same, you know, on the previous travel book where he goes down back down below, mm -hmm. um, he's in an old neighborhood. So they're building on an existing uh, cast of characters at that point. This, this they're creating a whole world out of cloth. Right. Um, and it's a great world. It's a lot of fun. I would love yeah. to see a little bit more. There, there, may be, um, there may be like a side story, like fan fiction series of the the Potato Chronicles or something. Yes, yeah. 
being written by a bunch of fans. <laughs> Let me see, there's something I was, um, anyway, so I'll, I'll talk about this a little bit later. So, you know, again, a lot of these characters that we meet are so wonderfully drawn and it's really sad that this is the only time we see them, but it's very clear that writing wise, she's trying out new techniques with this. Some work, some don't. And the book just becomes kind of an oddball in the series, mm -hmm. uh, which makes it a really good one for a first read because the advantage is you're coming in and you're there aren't a lot of connections back to pickaxe that you have to try and catch up on yeah, um, yeah. or anything else. You're, you're mostly starting fresh with this, which is why I recommended it to you when you said you wanted to do this and hadn't read any of the other books. Yeah, it was, it was good because that was one of the things that I was somewhat nervous about, like, am I going to be lost? And she did a really great job of when she did mention people from pickaxe, um, kind of like looping you in so you didn't feel out of the, out of touch with it. So I, I appreciated that very much. Mm -hmm. So you yeah. never felt lost or never felt like, oh, I don't know who this person is. Or no, no, I didn't. You know, the, the way that she explained things, like when, you know, when she was talking to Polly and stuff like that, and it was, you know, at the beginning in that party, like how many of these people do I need to know? Oh, he's leaving. So we don't need to know about these people. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Get out of here. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was um, good. I do have to mention one of my favorite scenes in this book. Mm -hmm. um which is quill discovering the um the tiny tiny teacups that were left for him <laughs> at tip top um and quill and i have very f similar feelings on mugs they should be large and deep and he complains that the fancy china at tip top has finger trap handles and can be emptied in two gulps mm -hmm. um as evidenced by my particular mug cabinet um if <laughs> i can't get my whole hand into the handle it's not big enough yeah yeah and and i really feel like i cup should be larger than four ounces yeah just a thing oh yeah. it's when when i'm making coffee they always say that oh you should fill up a, a tablespoon for one six ounce cup of coffee is like no one's drinking just a six ounce cup of coffee right yeah That's double that if not triple it yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly um another thing that i noticed and commented on in this book with my with my notes quill frequently comments on the physical appearance of others women um, especially, women especially. Mm -hmm. um men if they've got something distinctive um or are very large because he, he talks a lot about um what the the former sheriff's paunch mm -hmm. um but anyway despite his constant commenting on everybody else around him he gets really offended when somebody just makes random makes random references to his to his mustache <laughs> now to be fair to him it may just be that the person doing it at the time was vonda dudley wicks again um, do not name your daughters vonda just no no not pleasant people the vondas no apologies no. to any vonda listening <laughs> If there is a Vonda listening, I want to hear from you. Vonda, hear how, how your we want to know. We want to know. Have you changed it to Veronica? We don't know. Yeah. We want to yeah. know. Anything is possible. <laughs> yeah. oh, one of my other notes was was the joke that I tried to make earlier, um, which is uh, the prominent family, of course, and the potatoes are the Lumptons. And Quill does try and make that joke about the Lumptons and the potatoes, and it just falls flat. It's yeah. like, how do you not embrace that? I don't understand. <laughs> um, Quill does do what he said he did he was going to do which is he did some thinking about what he wants to do with his life now um now that the money is his outright he can go wherever he wants and he debates the following um one move back to a larger city but he's beginning to prefer small towns mm -hmm. buy a newspaper 
now that he can afford to, he doesn't want one. Um, and technically, he already did because the K Fund bought the Moose County say, something. I was going to say, he already owns one. Well, technically, he doesn't. The K Fund does. Oh. That's the technicality in his It has to be the technicality in his brain because, frankly, by any other, by any other name, he bought the newspaper. Yeah. He's already yeah. done that. I don't own a newspaper. Yeah, you do. Well, I don't own two. <laughs> <laughs> he talks about possibly doing more traveling. As I've said, this is the second book where he tries to go somewhere. It really doesn't end well. Um, and there are at least two more books where he attempts to travel. And again, does not go well. Bro, stay home, okay? <laughs> I mean, if your reasoning for, for not traveling is because what would you do with Coco and Yum Yum? Yeah. Cats, I mean, yeah. why would you travel? Um, yeah. He thinks about the possibility of teaching journalism, which is what everyone says he should do, but he decides he'd rather do it than teach it. Um, especially when he doesn't have to, have to actually answer to anybody, he can write his own stories. Nice. Much more fun. Yeah. Um, thinks about getting into acting, maybe doing some more TV. Because of his vast acting experience. Well, he acted a little in college. That's his. And, okay, that's right. That's right. I was going to say as his turn of the, he was Teddy, he was Teddy in their production of Arsenic and Old Lace, wasn't he? Yes. Remember that never actually made it on stage. Uh, that's right. <laughs> Again, vast range of acting experience. Precisely. Um, his final idea is to build a hotel in Pickaxe. Go to six stories high and call it the Pickaxe Towers. I would like to mention the current hotel in Pickaxe is known as the new Pickaxe Hotel. It was built in 1935 and hasn't been updated since. Yep, that's right. Um, and it's only three stories tall. <laughs> it was new in 1935. That's right, yeah. If it was good enough for Roosevelt, it's good enough for us. <laughs> that's right. So one of the comments that I always do at the end of these books is cats will be cats. Mm -hmm. um, talk about some of the particularly catly moments that happen. Um, and, and it should be mentioned that we're, we're doing this meeting, that we're doing this interview over Zoom, which means that we can watch Meg and her two lovely kitties. Yeah. Have you, you seen, seen two here? At least <laughs> once this entire, uh, this, this session, which has been lovely. Yeah. Hilo, Hilo is, uh, my big orange cat and he is currently meowing at me because he wants food, even though it's not time for food. So. Yep. <laughs> It doesn't stop. That's not going to stop. No, it's, not not it's time for food. Yeah. <laughs> it's always time for food, Mom. Right. That's right. <laughs> so in this particular book, Cats Will Be Cats Moments, we have um, the revelation that Yum Yum does not like the potatoes. Um, she ends up having to have the local vet give her some anti-anxiety meds before she tears all the fur off her flight. Oh, no. Yeah. yeah. Oh, um, oh. She's been freaking out and freaking out. Um, apparently, they, there's a description of the vet talking in a strange cat-like tongue to get her to calm down so we can give her the shots. So weird. Yeah. So weird. So yeah. weird. And then this is the same vet that mentions, oh, yeah, the dog's just kind of hanging out in the woods. Yeah, I know. Oh, what the hell is wrong with you? you what kind of vet that? are you? So we see where your preferences are, Doc. I get uh, it. Huh? So other catly thing discovered, Coco has a new trick and he likes to play with the radio and play it at unexpected times. <laughs> like when he used it to startle Sherry and Hugh Lumpton. Yeah. Um, yeah. He also, the, there is there was a gleefulness to the writing when she's writing about Coco and Yum Yum kind of terrorizing Sherry and Hugh <laughs> at the end yeah. to keep them terrified until mm -hmm. the sheriff arrives. I like that a lot, yeah. yeah. Go kitty. Yeah, it was just so mayhem. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so that was fun. Now, speaking of cats, we have a, a there's a, there's a paw rating that Susan assigns to this uh, out ah. of four paws. And what is your paw rating? I was going to say, before I give my paw rating, I if am. you figure out of, out of obviously four paws for your first, for your first adventure into the cat who, uh, what, what, uh, what paw rating would you give this book? 
I would give this a four paw rating because um, really? it was a very pleasant surprise that, you know, the, the, the way things are written are very, um, it's, it's, it's very easy to get into and it's very pleasant to stay in. Oh, so nice. It's not like, you know, you got to work at it, which I appreciate. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's just kind of a very pleasant, like, honest to God, if I won all this money or whatever, I would totally be like, yeah, I might need to do this. Like, that would definitely be on my list. Not to rent, like, the dilapidated shenanigans, you know, that, that <laughs> would list. Um, but, you know, to definitely, like, go cruise and, uh, you know, check out some artist, you know, treats and buy stuff for my people and, you know, just kind of get out of Dodge for a while. Now, my cats do not travel. So that would be a very different experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did appreciate like all the things like I, I laughed so hard when the cats like woke him up and they were opening the shutters. <laughs> yes. That is something like, I can't tell you how many times I've been dead asleep and I've heard like a crash or something. And I've been like, what the hell is going you know, like, on? Somebody's in here, you know? So it's just like. The, the shutters, by the way, it, or, it's the, uh, it's the blinds that, that pull down and they have that, that little ring at the bottom. Yeah. That you, yeah. That you- Pull and pull and release to so the cats were inserting a paw, pulling down right. and releasing and watching yeah. it go shoot. Oh. And he said it sounded like gunshots when he woke nope. up. He was like horribly, you know, f- afraid until he saw the cats just pleased as punch, like, oh, good, you're awake. You know, now you can come join the fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is a lot of what we do around here very yeah. often. There's a lot of that. Like, oh, good, you're awake. Snuggles, you know, snuggles <laughs> and food. Yeah. Now, also, did you? Did you have between the two cats? Did you have a favorite between Coco and Yum Yum as you read this? I liked Yum Yum. Yum Yum was so chill. <laughs> that seems to be the, 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 a trend, I think, uh, because yeah. Yum Yum's the cuddler. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, and Coco is very like a high maintenance. Like we're like we're gonna do things my way, and this is how. <laughs> You know, and uh, well, I appreciate that, you know, and, and the, the dialogue that they would have is like, you know, Coco is finding clues. Like, I figured this out, man. Like, I know, I know who did it. So just stick with me, you know. Um, I very much appreciated that. But yeah, Yum Yum's just like, I just want to hang. And I, I love all the like tension, like the vibe is not for Yum Yum and Yum Yum is not having it. So <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. And so what was your paw rating? Okay, my paw rating, I give this book a three paws, but with a caveat. So the mystery is interesting. And they, and as, as we've mentioned a couple of times, the characters in this are just wonderful. Yeah. But I feel like she started this book trying out a new place for Quill to move and ended up scrapping the idea, which is why the dam bursts and Polly gets threatened enough to get Quill to go home in a hurry. Mm-hmm. Mm. It should be mentioned that Lillian Jackson Braun um, there, there is a, a grand fan theory that um, Pickaxe and Environs are based off of Bad Axe, Michigan. Oh. But William Jackson Braun and her second husband um, ended up living in Asheville, North Carolina, mm. which is why this, to me, screams North Carolina and that kind of Appalachia vibe. Yeah, um, yeah. And why I think she might've been trying that out as a place for him to move to away from that, to see if that actually works. And hmm. at the end of the day, despite all the wonderful work she did creating these great characters for him to find, um, I feel like she kind of slammed like almost a series worth of mysteries into one. Yeah. Uh, that whole yeah. thing about the, uh, you know, the liquor, the liquor ring. Uh, the that, liquor I, ring. Found, I found that that was like a weird, like, here's where the, the thing is. I was kind of like, oh, that, oh, okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, you, she could have just as easily had said that, you know, Hugh and Sherry conspired to kill JJ um, because he objected to their marriage and they want to get right. married again. Yeah. And yeah. Totally would have been believable, simple, and still yeah. would have justified them throwing him off the mountain. Um, I personally was rooting for the witches. I was like, oh man, I wanted there to be witches. Come on. <laughs> like, no. It would have been uh, so but, cool. Yeah. <laughs> the, the setup yeah. for the supernatural element up in the potato mountain. There's yeah. potato witches and like, I'm here for it. I'm here for a series of potato witch books. Yeah. The potato witch chronicles. And that's actually something that I said, you know, I felt like I would enjoy a series of books that are set in the fictional potatoes as they recover from JJ's mismanagement and environmentalists take over the town's growth. Um, because of course that means that Vonda Dudley Wicks can be the villain. <laughs> yes. I would yes. totally get behind this. She's the yeah. scheming. She's tough. She's trying to do everything in the memory of her dear JJ. Oh. Ah. Oh, okay. Okay, I want I want this book series. Yeah, I kind of do. Um, how, how how like for me like reading this and like uh, understanding of course that some of these things are extraordinarily telegraphed, but like for this guy to like be trying to go on vacation and then he like comes into this town where apparently everybody. I mean, I'm just surprised that it took him to solve the mystery when in the potato mountains, you've got all these, you know, eyes and ears in the potatoes. And, you know, all of a sudden it's just down to him, so. In this particular case, uh, now in most cases, it's because Quill is a former investigative journalist. He has instincts that most of yeah. us don't. Yeah. But I think in this particular case, the biggest advantage he has is that he is neither spud nor tater. Yes. So he's able to talk to both factions. He's able to talk to both factions. And that's the only way somebody was going to figure out Forrest's side of the story versus Sherry Hawkinfield's side of the yeah. story. All right, because that's true. I'll give it to you. I'll give yeah. it to you. Yeah. So if nobody's if nobody if neither side is talking to each other, nobody's gonna figure out that the stories do not make sense together, especially okay. if um if the uh if the attorney is Hugh Lumpton and is not going to uh is, we don't, we don't question the moneyed folk, yeah. Yeah, I, I think in a different book, the reason Quill is able to solve it 99% of the time is because he listens to Coco. Yeah, uh, no, that was very clear. Like the cat, the cat did all your investigative journal work, yes. bro. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the cat can't go out and talk to, and cat That's can't go cool. out and talk to the factions. And I really think that was actually very important <laughs> for this particular yeah. mystery. I also do love the tactic of like, I'll get you drunk, then I'll learn all of your secrets. <laughs> and he keeps doing it. I, I didn't- It keep... keeps working, yeah. Yeah, I, I haven't kept, I, I will have to go back and double check this, but this is the 13th book in the series and he has done this at least six times. Wow. It's a good, it's a good tactic. I'm, I gotta say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to apply that in some of my- <laughs> The so next time, the next time you run into two people who, who might possibly have committed a murder. Yeah. There you come go. over for some come over for some drinks yeah yeah get them drunk and set the cats at them yes that's right that's right they'll be good at that yeah see what they <laughs> oh yeah that I, that could be very interesting yeah well meg any other final thoughts on this book as we uh, start to wrap up yeah, I enjoyed this. I, th I thought it was really fun. Um, it was uh, it was nice to get into, and it was just I mean, it was pleasant, even though it was um, somewhat you know predictable, except for that whole like liquor thing. I thought it was kind of like all right, the bootleg, and yeah, do your thing. Um, <laughs> it was uh, it was very pleasant, and and even though it was predictable, it was still really fun, you know, and just kind of nice and easy and my brain didn't have to work real hard and I appreciated the heck out of that. So, yeah. Would you read more of them? 
I would. I would give some more a try for sure. I mean, I would definitely want to see like a little more like mystery in my mystery. Um, but this was a definitely good like toe in the water. Like, let's see what you got, Lillian. Okay, you know. And mm -hmm. there's cats. There's yeah. cats that are witty and charming. So where is the bad here? You know, yeah. it's a win-win. <laughs> there's kitties. Yes. For more mystery, I would say the cat who knew Shakespeare might be a good place to start. Oh, okay. Yeah, cat who knew Shakespeare is very good. Yeah. Yes. Cool. A little bit of a controversial uh, controversiality on the uh, solving of the mystery, but um, if you want a miss, if you want a real mystery, that's one of the that you know some of these are a little bit predictable. Yeah. Um, but that particular one, I think, is really interesting of how it gets solved and how it turns yeah. out to be. Yeah, because I like the ones where you can kind of like you get to kind of figure it out instead of like here's this element we never mentioned and now we solve the mystery. Like ah, that's not fair. You're cheap. <laughs> yeah, she, she, you know, the nice thing is that she uses, a, despite the fact that Quill uses the same tactic to get people to confess to the murders. Right. Um, the, the solving of the mysteries is incredibly varied. She does repeat it occasionally, but a lot of times she's finding new, completely new ways to make this work. Cool. Right. Um, it's, it's so it's a lot of fun. Yeah. 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 Any, final, any final thoughts for you, my dear? Um, I am sad that we don't get to go back to the potatoes. Yeah. That is a shame. Yeah. I really want to know but, more. You know, that's mostly because the agent with the, uh, the astrology to find people, the houses. Oh, well, yes. The, the less right. more real estate. Yeah. Also, I'm no, noting that the less, noting the less more real estate. I'm also kind of sad that we don't get to see more of that relationship um, so that we can see what a true jackass the Mr. Lessmore is. Well, yeah. Who's just like, I uh, gotta go golfing. Okay, bye. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Total ass. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, I, and again, I think if she had actually succeeded in moving Quill to the potatoes, we would have, that would have been a whole thing. Right. Um, right. Yeah. And we would have gotten a little bit more, but it again, feels like she crammed a, a series worth of mysteries into one book. The right. Cat who, the cat who got stuck in the sand trap. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, there you go. There you go. I like that. There you go. The cat so, who caught sand, anyway. Well, Meg, this was a, a lovely, lovely conversation. Thank you very much for joining us on this episode. Thanks for having me, guys. This was cool. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us on The Cat Who Did a Podcast. Susan, what's going to be our next book? <laughs> Join us next time for The Cat Who Wasn't There. Until next time, my friends, I am Luke Ramsdorf-Terry. And I'm Susan Ramsdorf-Terry. Happy sleuthing. And stay nosy, my friends.